Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of The Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Meaningful coincidences illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unify us. Please like and subscribe by pushing this button right below, or both of them. Coincidence stories are best told if there is a title to the story, and then at the end, uh, some meaning is described. This one is called West to the East, or and East to the West. West to the East and East to the West, referring to the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States. In 1965, I went from New Haven, Connecticut, where I was a medical student at Yale, to Los Angeles to be a medical student researcher at Mount Sinai Hospital in Beverly Hills. A series of coincidences led me to take LSD for the first time and learn about tarot cards and their basis in the Kabbalah, which claimed to have, through its tree of life, a map of the universe. Back in Yale, I went to a talk in which the speaker mentioned the Good Friday experiment organized by Walter Penke. Divinity students were given psilocybin and an active placebo nicotinic acid, which made them flush, in the basement of a church in Boston. The supervisor of the study, Jerry Clareman, had moved from Harvard to Yale, so I went to see him. He connected me with Walter Penke, who had become a psychiatrist and had begun a second psilocybin study, which was halted by Harvard. I know the story behind that in case you want to hear it. Mm. I used the data they had gathered for my medical school thesis. I found in my thesis research that expectation is correlated with experience in one of three general categories. Visual changes, you know, hallucinations or synesthesia where things are sound becomes light and light becomes sound. Psychological insight like thinking about your parents and your current relationships and spiritual expansion. These were the three areas. So this, there's more that happened after that, but this particular set of coincidences, I went from one thing to the other, blah, 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 like that. I like the monkey swinging from the vine. That's what I do in the jungle of reality. I swing from vine to vine. Oh, look, here's one. I'll grab that one. That's what I did with this one. So, among other things, the meaning of this is got me to be able to talk with Roz Watts, who is our guest today. As clinical lead of the psilocybin for depression study at Imperial College in London and clinical director of the Synthesis Institute, Dr. Rosalind Watts recognized the potential of psychedelic therapy, but also its risks and pitfalls. 
namely that psychedelic substance can open the door, but real long-lasting benefits depend on substantial integration support of that amazing experience. She is now the founder and director of 12 Trees Integration, Roz, I Speak with Trees, a global community with online and in-person aspects to support people in the months and years after their psychedelic experiences. 12 Trees focuses on helping people build their connectedness to self, others, and for me, trees and plants and the natural world in general, which is the mechanism that Dr. Watts discovered to be the underpinning that brought the change observed in her psilocybin for depression research. Incidentally, Roz, um, Jerry Clareman, the guy who connected me to Walter Pankey, wrote a very continued use book on the interpersonal therapy for depression. Ah. So he was bringing people together, connecting people too. just, it's a kind of a nice little string. This, mm -hmm. this research about and seeing the connectedness that psilocybin seemed to increase and help reduce depression got her to develop a psychometric tool for measuring connectedness, the Watts Connectedness Scale, the otherwise known as the WCS. Remember those initials. Dr. Watts was co-founded the, the UK's first psychedelic integration group where they try to help people, among other things, integrate their increase in synchronicities because some of them don't know what to do with themselves. And as a consultant psychologist for small pharma investigating DMT, a businessman's high, we used to call that, as a depression, as a treatment for depression. It goes faster. So, Roz Watts, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very happy to be here. And I'm very happy to be having you here. So, please tell us a good coincidence story. Okay, so, so I give the caveat that it's not my weirdest one or most impressive, but it's relevant here because it involves you and it involves the measure that you just described, the WCS, which is the connectedness scale. So, and I'll see if I can tell it in the format you say. So um, a good title, I would say, um, a title I would say would be Synchronicity Twins. And I'll see if I can remember the order of events in the relevant way. So I've been doing some breath work at home in my flat. And my friend was coming over for dinner afterwards. And my friend is Michelle Baker-Jones. She's a colleague of mine. We've been working together through the whole time we've been working in psychedelic research, we've been working together. And she came round and she walked through the door and she told me that she'd been invited to speak on a podcast about connectedness. And you had just emailed me quite recently, inviting me to do this podcast. And I said, oh, that's funny. I've also been invited to do a, a podcast on, you know, kind of similar kind of thing, connectedness coincidences. Um, and she, she mentioned she, you know, wanted to talk about the connectedness scale that I'd made. And I said, oh, sure, sure. Let me get to my laptop and I'll, um, I'll get a copy of the Connectedness Scale, the WCS, and email it to you so that you've got it if you want to talk about it. But when I went to 
Google, uh, to search in my emails for WCS, a different email come up. I didn't get my own measure. I got another email from you that I had missed before. I hadn't seen it. And in it, you told me that you had your own measure called WCS, which was the weird coincidences scale. So I was sitting there with my friend. We'd both been asked to do Connectedness Podcast, Coincidences Connectedness Podcast. And there was your WCS and my WCS. And it's kind of, it just, we just had that, that sparkly feeling of something just happened there. And yeah, and that I felt like a kind of bond with you through the fact that we both have a WCS and that it felt like a weird coincidence in the whole way it had transpired. Yeah. And what I also tried to say in your um, in that email uh, was that I think there's more than a, a connection through WCS. They are potentially related to each other. Mm. Namely, if you get a measure before and after a psychedelic experience for the frequency of weird coincidences with using yes. my WCS, mm. and then you you track the connectedness that people experience with the increase in, in weird coincidence later. Mm -hmm. I mean, as you yes. track them over time with your scale and with my scale, the, my guess is the more weird coincidences they have, the more connectedness they will yes. describe. Absolutely. I bet the two are highly correlated. Yeah. It would be, it would be fascinating to, to see that. And also, I guess, because, yeah, it's it's not something that's spoken about. So, well, at least in my kind of circle of psychedelic research, the kind of coincidences and synchronicities, although we all, many of us know that we have them and that they seem to increase when people are involved in psychedelic work, it's not something that we really have a language for. So I, I would love to in include that study, that measure because it would it would open up the discussion for people when you could see an actual correlation. I think it would open up. It would make it it would um, bring like kind of legitimacy and data to something that I think people might slightly shy away from because it seems a bit kind of strange. It is strange to the it ordinary. Is strange. <laughs> It is strange to the ordinary mind, and I'm, I'm um, really, let me say, impressed with how different minds can hear this stuff about synchronicity as well as psychedelics. But and almost any of the ideas that come out of synchronicity, I told one of my patients something that was like had to do with an experience she had, where she was uh, catfished online. Catfish means somebody impersonated oh. somebody else that wasn't her, him. So she was catfished. And we went through it. Was a big, it was a real funny story. But it was also a reflection of the way she did relationships. She did that with this fat cat ship, catfish guy. Mm -hmm. And she didn't like to see that her mind was mirrored in her environment. That was really hard for her where I had another patient who saw a child going out with a, an adult onto the middle of a frozen lake when things were thawing. And my patient got really terrified for the child and the woman, they were in the middle of the lake. So I said, this could be like a dream. This could be a reflection of something about you. 
And she thought about it and she could see something about her mother and her father that with both of them, she was skating on thin ice. And she was afraid the center wouldn't hold as she would, the wooden hold in the ice and the lake. That's a poignant image, yeah. Those are experiences that will help your psychedelic clients think about because they're seeing them. They are seeing them. And they, don't, they can't believe that mind and environment are so collect, connected. Mm -hmm. Is that true? You think what I just said was going to be true? Yeah. I mean, I think so in terms of that kind of, I mean, I would say that for sure in terms of that kind of therapeutic synchronicity of matching of mind and external environmental vision, I think that happens a lot, um, probably in, in normal therapy and also more in psychedelic therapy. But I'd even go one further and say that in terms of the really, really kind of uh, synchronicities where things actually happen. It's not just the way you might see something or a dream or a kind of symbol, symbolic kind of synchronicity, but actually like very bizarre things actually happen. And, you know, a book that says a particular thing or meeting a particular, you know, the kind of when the, the, the world, it's not just you seeing something in the outside world, but the outside world actually mirroring back to you, like physically, those things. I think people have that more of those types as well. Oh, there are lots of those. And uh, thank you for the word mirroring. We have mirror neurons. Mm. It turns out that the environment is all, also being empathic with us sometimes. Yeah. And, and when you describe when that becomes physical, you said it kind of quickly, but would you describe what you mean by some of those physical things happening? So, um, for example, a particular symbol being important to somebody in a psychedelic experience. I'm thinking of, for example, a dragonfly, or for somebody else, it was a pearl. And then they see those everywhere, but not just imagine, you know, they, they go to a shop and there's a thing, somebody gives them one, somebody sends them a film where one of the, you know, they just get kind of bombarded by physical manifestations in the real world of that particular symbol and some people would say oh they're just more aware of it because they're thinking of it and it's you know there's nothing unusual is happening they're just primed to find the coincidence but I have felt that it's more than that because sometimes people describe such a frequency of these physical events we have to do in this business of coincidences, both and. Yeah. We and you know that. Yeah. And I think you kind of did it, but I want to be clear. Yes, mm. you wouldn't see the pearl if you weren't sensitized to it. Yes. Yes. You, you got to be like, no, it's out there, but somebody's sending it to you. No, you didn't do it. You, yeah. you, 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 you have to go to higher levels of, uh, of explanation for doing that. So pearl, uh, so objects, I call those one object after another like that, a uh, seriality, not just me. It's uh, Paul Kammerer used that term. Then that's different from synchronicity and, um, and serendipity, mm -hmm. which are usually one event. 
uh, parallel or two parallel mm. events. This is like, what? I knew somebody who has last count a thousand monkey symbols that you see. And they all Ooh, teach monkeys. You. Monkeys are common one too. <laughs> yeah. Monkeys are common one too. What do you, so what does a monkey symbol you think mean in this these contexts? It's very so much. So an example I can give from a recent uh, you know, clinical trial that I've been working on. Um, so many synchronicities linked to this particular person. There were just so many, one extraordinary one. But another thing is that he, um, a monkey was important to him during his experience, his psychedelic experience. And then the next day, somebody sent a card to one of the therapists that had been in the session with a monkey on it. So the next morning she arrived and said, I got a, a card in the post with a monkey on it. Um, but also he also had nothing quite as concrete as that, but a few things like that where monkeys became very salient to him in the, in the days afterwards. And for him, it was all about um, playfulness and, and coming back to playfulness. I, for, your, for this lady, did she have a particular symbol of what the monkeys meant or did they mean different things? They ended up meaning different things, but they became like companions to her because he expected them to be around and they taught her different things. Yeah. But it, this monkey magic is a phrase some people use and mm -hmm. monkeying around is a thing. And for me, the monkey thing is the vine to vine thing, like um, and swinging from vine to vine in the jungle mm -hmm. of, of reality and the internet now yeah. too. And for her, it was so many that um, she was just always ready to learn something when the monkey mm -hmm. showed up. Yeah. Well, we're gonna, we've, met, we've established um, yet more clearly that people who take psychedelics tend to see more coincidences afterwards. Um, and in Haight Street in the late 60s, there were signs that said synchronicity spoken here because they were doing a lot of psychedelics and they saw a lot of coincidences, this is what happened. But let's, let's go back to uh, Roz and some of hers. You had something about music and... Yes. Yeah, so this is actually with the same person that I was just mentioning. So the same person um, who the had monk, the monkey. The, the monk, yeah, the, the guy that had the monkey in his experience. So I think actually this is probably my most... Um, of all the synchronicities that have ever happened, this is probably the one that I felt most amazed by. So he was having a DMT experience... And I was one of the therapists in the room. And the other one was the lady that got the monkey card the, the day after. And there was a bit of a delay to the DMT kind of arriving. And in that delay, um, I he was kind of a bit nervous waiting for the, D, you know, it's a DMT infusion. It's quite a hardcore uh, intervention. Infusion, oh boy. Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh -huh. So he was anxious, understandably a little bit anxious waiting. And in the time lag, we didn't really know how long we had. I, I asked him if he wanted us to play a song that he really liked or a piece of music that felt significant that he felt would, would help him at that time, help him relax. And he suggested a song by an artist that I'd never heard of before, who's pretty well known, but quite 
amongst young people I'm 40 now so I'm not really kind of like in touch with what the young cool kids listen to so it was this piece of it was a song by this really famous pop star that I had never heard of and we listened to the piece of music and it was really good I really liked it and then the DMT arrived and he had the DMT infusion and afterwards at the end of the day when I went home I sent a a text message to a friend of mine who is an electronic um, music maker he actually makes music for psychedelic therapy he's called John Hopkins he's an amazing uh, electronic music wait a minute wait a minute John Hopkins makes music for I know (laughs) I know I know exactly I mean there's so many synchronicities so there are so many. Yeah, so exactly. So yeah, for our John's audience, Hopkins. for our audience, <laughs> what why is this funny? Tell our audience why that's funny. So so Johns Hopkins University in Maryland is the home, the birthplace of much psychedelic research. Was that where Walter Pankey was? No. No. This was no, Mass, no, no. Ma- Mass Mental Harvard. Yes. Okay. Um, but I think there was a link between Walter Pankey and Bill Richards, perhaps. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Bill Richards is from Johns Hopkins. Yes. So there is a bit of a link, but so Johns Hopkins is the center of psychedelic research, like the home of it. And then there is a, a music producer in the UK in London called John Hopkins, obviously very similar. Johns Hopkins, John Hopkins. And he is a very, very successful artist. And he is now making music for psychedelic therapy. In fact, his most recent album is called Music for Psychedelic Therapy. It's beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful because he's created this music specifically for a psychedelic experience. So there's no words. It's just one long piece of music and it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. So, uh, so he, so I sent him a message on the way home saying, hi, John, um, was introduced to this amazing music today um, from a participant in a, in a session have you ever heard of, and then said the name of this pop star. Um, And he said, that's so funny because she messaged me today, asking me if I wanted to collaborate. And I said, oh, really? What time? And it was like 1.15. And when I realized I had the transcripts of the session, that was exactly the moment that we were playing her piece of music. So in a room in the UK, playing a piece of music, and then, I mean, just the, the whole sequence of events, then the fact that I messaged him and that he'd, be, he'd heard from her at exactly that moment that day, it blew my mind. That is a beautiful one. It's beautiful. And also because um, the, the title of the track that was played was one that had a lot of resonance and meaning for the psychedelic experience that he had. And... Um, and yeah, and then he actually, so John actually let this person know the synchronicity that had happened and she was quite touched by it too. So it felt like it was one of those full circle ones where it kind of came back around and yeah, felt really beautiful. Well, it illustrates the, uh, the way in which coincidences uh, connect people. Yes. Yeah, the, these little invisible threads through kind of all these unlikely people, different parts of the world, but it was, yeah felt lovely well Roz Watts is into connectiveness or connectivity <laughs> or something I mean <laughs> this that scale didn't come out of nowhere uh 
that came out from uh, a person who has, for a good part of her life, I'm guessing, studied interpersonal connectedness as well as connectedness with nature. Yes. Somehow you came out with that vibe in you, uh, is what I'm, which is what I'm suggesting. And th this is just the flowering of the WCS is a flowering of that, just like mine is a flowering of me. Yes. Uh, it's like, this is, <laughs> this is <laughs> so cool. It is. I love the fact that we both have a scale with the same name and especially it was really meaningful for me because I felt quite unsure about calling the scale after myself because it's obviously in a way an incredibly in one way of looking at it is that it's an incredibly narcissistic thing to do and I was very tired about what to do and I I ended up doing it because you know I've been a woman in academia and well, so I, I started off my work in the National Health Service, which is our free public health care system. And in and I was a clinical psychologist working with with patients, uh, people with depression, people with all sorts of long term problems. And I um, I just always found that the, the people I'd worked with in the teams um, there was just a lot of mutual support um, I always felt a really a real strong connection with my with my colleagues and you know, like kind of supported and the work I was doing and and then suddenly kind of came into psychedelic academia. Just and it was a series of synchronicities that led me there. Sat down next to someone at a conference, you know, one of those things. I mean, it, talk about the monkey swinging from branch to branch. It was hilarious. But I suddenly found myself flung into this kind of academic world and I suddenly found it very different having been feeling like I was part of an interconnected web of people going about our kind of in a beehive of working with people that were struggling and all doing our little roles. Suddenly I was like, whoa, in a place of kind of competition and proving oneself and um, yeah, like ego, I guess. And so because I had a number of times when I um, was my naivety in terms of sharing and doing things in a particular way was took a bit of a sudden shock because if you go and say, Oh yeah, let's all share. You can have that. You end up being, yeah, you end up in certain situations in, in academia, really, you have to really fight and be really ruthless. And so after a few years of having various situations where I was kind of, you know, wringing my hands at the injustice of it all, um, I, I then realized, I was like, okay, well, that's the way this game works. I've created the scale from my research. I'm going to call it after myself so that it can't be, you know, so that I may maintain some kind of connection to it. But by calling it WCS, what's connected to scale, some of the colleagues that were also involved in doing it with me were you know, pointed out to me the narcissism and, you know, how can you have a connectedness scale that's called, you know, your own name? And, <laughs> and so I, I had to re I was really struggling with it. But so that when you gave me the, the, your weird coincidences scale, it, I felt this sense of like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to do this because, you know, it just gave me that little, like little uh, wink from the universe uh, that it's a good name. Stick with it. It's a good name. Stick with it. It's a good name. Stick with it. Yeah. It's a good name. <laughs> stick with it. I mean, <laughs> look, look how much, 
well, it's fun talking with you about this stuff. Um, uh, you had a, a, a synchronicity uh, on your journey home uh, last week. Why don't you tell us about that one? Yeah, so this one was, um, oh, this one was, was a, a joyful one, a very, very joyful one. Um, and so, okay, I'd been with my friend Michelle, my, my synchronicity twin, and we'd gone out for the first time we'd been to a concert since lockdown. We went to the South Bank Centre in, in London, which is this beautiful concert hall, and saw a, a band play that I thought was just going to be uh, kind of instrumental music, Indian classical music. And then it turned out to be this amazing album all about, it's called Earth Songs, all about um, the plight of the, the planet. And it was very touching, beautiful music. And it really spoke to me because it's something I care a lot about. Well, I think we all care a lot about now, but it's something that I've um, felt very um, concerned about for a long time. And so we, we had this night of kind of real magic listening to this music and then we went to get the underground tube home and she went her way and I went mine and there was a, a tube chain that came along which I should have got on and for some reason I have no idea why I didn't get on it well, we I didn't like, get on it we, we like those uh, for some reason yeah. things and, <laughs> and like with your music thing the DMT came late yeah uh, so uh, these yes uh, the, the space between that is filled with emptiness is also yes. filled with potential. Mm, I love that. Yes. And it's great because it means that when those things happen now, you learn, you, I like being late. I like things going awry because I know that there's so much potential <laughs> for good stuff happening. Um, so I didn't get on the tube and I waited for the next one and something happened with the tube. So it all, the tube train went really wrong. So we were all on the tube train and then the lights all went off and there was an announcement, please get off the train. This train isn't going anywhere. And I stood on the platform and I was, um, I don't know what I was really doing. I wasn't really paying attention. I think I was listening to some music on my, on my phone, kind of thinking that another train would come along. And then a guy was standing next to me, very unusually dressed, wearing a very, very kind of dapper velvet outfit and said, people in London do not speak to strangers. You never speak to anybody on a tube train. It's just not done. And he said to me, excuse me, and I had to take my headphones out. Do you know what's going on with the with tube train? And I said, no, no, I, I, I have no idea. I know no more than you, but we, st we struck up a conversation and started chatting. And it felt like one of those quite alive ones. And then he was telling me a bit about himself and just having a chat. And then we suddenly realized we needed to make a plan because there were no more tube trains coming. So we had to figure out a way of getting home that involved a different tube line. And so he said, where, where do you live? Where are you going to? And I said, Chalk Farm, which is my tube stop. And then another person walked past, just as I said, Chalk Farm, who was dressed kind of like a wizard. So also very velvety style clothes, similar to this first guy. I'll call the first guy Man A. Man B, who was the wizard type, came along. And when I said um, Chalk Farm, he said, oh, I live in Chalk Farm too. Um, shall we get a, a taxi together? And then I looked at Man A and said, where do you live? And Man A said, I live in Finsbury Park. And then Man B said, oh, oh, well, so I, I do, I am going to Chalk Farm because that's where I've parked my van. But then I'm going to Finsbury Park because that's where I live. So we were there, the two of us, 
Two Chalk Farm, one Finsbury Park. It was miles away. The other side of London, these places were miles away from each other. We were in Waterloo, right the other side of London. So we all said, okay, fine. Why don't we travel together to Chalk Farm? We'll find another tube line, travel to Chalk Farm. And then when we get to Chalk Farm, Man B will drive Man A to Finsbury Park, where they both live. All fine. We're on the tube. We, we went onto a different tube line so that we could find our way to Chalk Farm. And as we sit down, Man B, wizard, starts telling us about an alien uh, experience he had when he was 13. And I, this isn't my like an area that I'm particularly aware of or, or au fait with or interested in particularly, but I was very interested as he was telling the story about how when he was that age, an alien had, he'd had this experience. The man next to him turned to him and said, oh yeah, a walk-in experience. Oh yeah, I've had one. And they started talking in this very fine-tuned language about alien experiences that I knew nothing about, but they were both completely on the same page. It was fascinating. Then the tube stopped. We got off the train because we were changing to another line, said goodbye to this guy that knew all about alien experiences, got on the next tube train, at which point man A said to me, so Roz, what do you do for work? And I was just about to say, oh, I work with uh, psychedelics and psychedelic research. And at that point, another man from the tube that we were on walked forward and said to the wizard guy, man B, oh, you look great. You look great. You look uh, really cool. I, I just want to tell you, like, are you interested in magic mushrooms? Because I'm really interested in magic mushrooms. You look like someone's going to be interested in magic mushrooms. I've got depression and magic mushrooms really helped me. And man B, and I hadn't said a word. Obviously, I work with people with depression and uh, psychedelics. And man B, the wizard guy, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I have depression. And I always use magic mushrooms for my depression. So the two of them were talking about magic mushrooms for depression. And I nearly said, oh, I've done a TED talk about magic mushrooms for depression. But I didn't because I was like, no, I'm not even going to go there. So I just kind of smiled to myself as they had this conversation about it. Then we got to Chalk Farm, said goodbye to the magic mushroom guy got to the chalk farm and then I was like okay I'm gonna walk to my flat now it was amazing to meet you guys and the, he was like oh yeah my I'll walk with you because I'm going towards my van I got to my flat his van was parked just next door to my flat it was literally on the corner so he'd parked his van on the other side of London to where we met and then we'd had this whole journey together and then the three of us were there at his van I was like well that's my flat it was so uncanny Oh. <laughs> it's a roller coaster. <laughs> well, um, you told that so beautifully. Oh, good. <laughs> you did. I mean, uh, this is this is the way I'd like to have you know, somebody stand up in front of a bunch of people and tell a story, because you 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 did it. Well, and I hope our listeners and viewers agree with me on this, but I, I've heard a lot of stories. But the key thing for this, your storytelling was being able to imagine the guys and you were able to like describe them. And then you helped us with A, B and the new guy. And then you described the way the wizard uh, looked and was dressed. And then the other guy, the way he dressed. So they, be, they began to have characters to them. Mm. So that's just like we talked about details. I mean, you made the details yeah. come alive. So that's the other way of doing this, telling the details you like. 
Mm. You needed those details to be able to get all these A, Bs, and Cs straight. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, so, it gets so confusing otherwise, yeah. It got so confusing otherwise. That's right. And it wasn't confusing. It wasn't confusing. Because then I ended up with seeing your flat, and there's the van. I saw it. I mean, you made it visually um, there for, for me, and I hope some of the readers, uh, listeners, and viewers get that visual because you want to draw a, a, a movie. You want to create a movie mm. in the mind of the listener. And you did that uh, in, in telling this story. Uh, it's, oh, uh, good. It's, you're welcome. As for my usual concern with coincidences is mm -hmm. what do they mean to Roz? That's one. Mm -hmm. And the second is, how do you explain them, which is going to be a little harder. So, <laughs> so what did this coincidence mean to Roz? So this one was, it felt so poignant and lovely because, so I had been, it's been a long old COVID lockdown. It's been a long, it's been a long, tough time. And for the last almost a year I'd gone from living in a community in a boat community so lots of boats all moored next door to each other to living in a flat and I'd felt pretty disconnected in a way in, in many ways actually I'd gone from feeling very connected to very disconnected and when and I you know lockdown has just been very kind of dull as well so when Michelle and I went to see that 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 concert it was like coming back into the world. And when that synchronicity journey happened, it felt like I'd gone from being so stuck in this room at this desk all day, every day for months and months to suddenly it was like I was traveling. Cause you know, when you go backpacking and you meet this person and someone else. And I had that feeling of I'm in flow again and I'm connected and I'm connected to these people and I'm, I can go on adventures again. So it felt like a really beautiful, the fact that his van was parked next to my flat felt like, like an ally, you know, like a, a lovely ally on my adventures and that I was safe because that's the other thing. If I hadn't met them, I would have been walking from the tube station to my home alone, which is something I do quite a lot, but you know, London is not the safest of places. And actually, because I'd met them, it meant that they walked me right to my door because that's where his van was. So in a way, it felt like the synchronicity was kind of like, yeah, an ally um, safety protecting me in my adventures. It was. Yeah. It didn't yeah. feel like it. It was. Uh, it, yeah. It, it made it all safe. And I yeah. thought it made it safe that you had two guys rather than just one. Yes, yes, exactly. We didn't know each other. And that, yes. and that made it safer, too. And so you could sit back and enjoy the show, really. That's what it was. It was, it was the show for Roz. It was, <laughs> they, they did a show for you. <laughs> it, it was so nice that there was two of them, because if there had just been one, I would have felt, I really, probably the whole way, I would have felt uncomfortable about the fact that I was going to, you know, be on this journey with just one man, but yeah, having both was lovely. And they were both so sweet and very, very gentlemanly. And it did feel like that was just what I needed. It's just what you needed. Yeah. yeah. Well, they often are, aren't they, with synchronicities? It's so often just what you needed. Not always, as you say in your book, but often. Well, and you, you, you talking about what creates 
increases the likelihood of coincidences. Um, you are doing a definite life stressor, life transition by getting out of yes. your, your flat and going out into the world. That's a tearing the web of quotidian reality. You just did that by going out yeah. there with your twin. Mm. And then sitting there with the train not working for you, you had a need and need and transition um, mm. increased the likelihood. And then you had to have some emotion because you're worried about whether you're going to get home or not. So, yes. So those three things somehow are correlated in a kind of global sense, but just how it works, I'm, I'm still thinking about to help create the coincidence. Yes. What about number three coming along with psilocybin and depression? What about that? What did that do to you? I mean, you mean on the train when the, the third, the, the guy, I mean, that was yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was extra, that was just so, I mean, I, it was so hilarious <laughs> and just extraordinary that I, I didn't even say it because it was too, I, I couldn't say it then. I couldn't say it because it was just too much. They would think I was making it up. So I just privately to myself, just, it was like an inner smile of, you couldn't make this up. This is just hilarious. Yeah. It's just, it's a, and, and, and funny is like a, a big part of these coincidences. They're, funny is the best we can do sometimes. Yeah. But it's, but they are funny. Um, but the, the funniness has a lot of fun in them and mm. also have entertainment in them. So I'm interested in the learning entertainment interface, which mm. is what funny begins to start with, but it helps with funny. And just for our audience again, that what we're talking about here is on the train, a third guy came along and that guy is the one who said psychedelics, psilocybin, uh, depression, they helped me with my depression, the psilocybin, the, the magic mushroom, which is a psilocybin yeah. thing, helps me with my depression. And that's what Roz Watts studies. Now, if you were looking, as I keep doing, for mirrors of your mind, what more crystal clear mirror of your mind than number three? Yeah. You, that, was you, that was you. He was mirroring. Yeah. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit more what might be underneath the funny part of that? I mean, I guess at the time, what it just felt like was, it felt, it felt to me at the time, like kind of validation really overall sorry my kitten is uh getting in the way I have to put him on my lap so that he doesn't cause any damage we we <laughs> we, we include all beings in these podcasts <laughs> so, um glad to have the kitten. So, so yeah i think at the time it felt like like validation because it yeah from coming out of this time of like this really stuck time of feeling quite unsure about things it just felt like every aspect of it was like a really beautiful different aspect of some kind of validation or safety. And I think the fact that he said the magic mushrooms had been helping him with his depression. And then the other guy that I'd been talking to said the same thing for him. 
I felt a sense of just real happiness that the work that I was doing, not because, I mean, they weren't taking magic mushrooms because of the research. Well, I don't know, they might have been, but however they'd come to magic mushrooms and however it had helped them, I just felt a sense of validation that this work's really important and that I was really glad that I was doing it. So yeah, that's how it felt at the time. Were you thinking of some, what What were you thinking of? No, no. In I, terms of mirroring? When I, well, when I asked, the, I, I, I didn't think of anything. I was just, mm. but I can come up with something now that I've heard you. But um, mm. that what I heard from you was this mirror said, Roz, keep doing what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. And you, you have, for various reasons, communicated a little uncertainty about decisions you make. Mm. Um, and here's another coincidence uh, that helped you um, help confirm that what you're doing, the WCS thing is another one, um, mm. where your ego, you got to have some ego. You got to have some ego in order to lose it. I mean, that's spiritually developing <laughs> yeah yes. you gotta know what that's like not just start off with nothing so yeah yeah you're developing your ego but in a very modest way and i think that's the easiest way to let go of it but you you're contributing something that's very important especially from my perspective because it's gotten you so deeply into synchronicity among other things uh and, and you're out there part of this i think growing trend vision i, I think i'm a pisces so i think of like uh, like ocean uh and the wave coming out there's like a wave of this synchronicity happening mm. in the world it's in various places keep finding it and it's, it's like there and so i'm in the middle of it and says hey i, I know something about this <laughs> that's what i do yeah <laughs> I, yes. I, I've, I've been working on that. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I can like, you know, help you figure it out. So that's, mm. that's what I see you doing from my perspective. But I, I like the almost personification of that mirroring, like it's an mm. empathic reflection to you. It's, it's more than a cognitive thing. It's like, uh, somehow, made you feel good with yourself mm, yes and I really I so did afterwards because um I immediately when I got her I just felt this jubilation actually about it about the whole thing and it, it had been a while since I'd felt that feeling and I immediately left a voice note for the, the friend that I'd been with and another friend of ours trying to explain all the sequence of events but I was so excited at the time that it, I think it was a very garbled mess but but you know, listening back to afterwards, I was like, "Wow, I was really happy." You know, <laughs> very, very happy. Yeah, that's the best. That's the best you'll do with that one. Yeah, yeah. But that, okay. Um, now, one of the uh, one of the things that I do with uh, coincidences is try to use them to figure out the nature of reality. Uh, it's like they are clues and there are more people I'm hearing saying some of the same things and psychedelics are a way of figuring out reality too, because you get to lose the, the, the blinders that the three-dimensional materialistic thinking tends to have on us, but we have to exist in this times place with time going like that linearly, but we can pop out of that into a different place 
and get a look at where this time temporal sequential linear thing is happening all the time and, and get out of it and start seeing what else is happening because we have to. The future of humanity depends on our being able to look at the world from a metaphysician, from what I call a collective self-observer and see what we're doing to the planet and ourselves. Part of that I wanted to put, put this in there to tell you is there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, emphasis on spiritual evolution, which many people are doing in various ways and coincidences help some people do that psychedelics do too but they're missing something these people who are talking about spiritual for most of the time there also has to be a psychological development we don't get along with each other very well there's a lot of loneliness going on and your emphasis on connectiveness or connectedness is an essential part of what needs to happen, Ross, to help people connect more with each other, to, to not only see the invisible threads that connect us, the invisible currents, active vibrational thing, but to strengthen them, sometimes to find them, even if it's for a moment with somebody, sometimes it's a longer period of time, they tend to move in and out like wires, they disconnect and things go on. It's a very dynamic, uh, fluid connectedness we have. It's not just we're all connected. There's uh, lots of different movement in that connectedness. And we have to learn to connect the way you're helping people do and understanding it. But we also have to help them strengthen the connectedness and learn how to behave well with each other, which they don't do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. De I mean, definitely. I think um, one of the one of the kind of nice little links there is that. So the particular psychedelic I was working with was magic mushrooms uh, for most of it. I'm doing some other ones now, but that was most of it. And we know that uh, all the trees in the forest are linked together by these mycelial networks underground. And I think that one of the big changes that needs to happen is that we need to realize that this competitive paradigm that we are in uh, this sense of, you know, if that person has something, it makes me have less. It's, it's a kind of capitalistic mindset of um, there's only so much to go around and I need to take more. Um, somehow it's so woven into our psychology that when we, if we learn more from the trees and the mycelial, the, the, the fungal networks and how the trees in the forest do not compete with each other. And that people used to think they did compete with each other for lights. And then there was this amazing book, I don't know if you've read it, um, by Suzanne Simard, she's a Canadian scientist, called the Mo Finding the Mother Tree. And through her work, she discovered that there was this, there was this assumption that the trees in the forest were competing for light. So there's a cash crop of one particular tree and you've got to chop down all the other ones because they're going to take the light. So you've got to spray herb herbicide from helicopters on these beautiful forests to get rid of the competition. And through her research, she realized that when you got rid of the competition, the cash crop trees didn't grow properly because they needed the web. They needed this ancient interconnected web of life to sustain them. And so I think that's a kind of metaphor for what needs to happen with us. When we realize that, 
the flourishing of, of some of us is woven up in the flourishing of all of us. It's not the, the competitive consumerist capitalistic thing doesn't actually work. Then we have to change our way of being together because we have to work as a community. Otherwise we're not going to make it. I agree with you. And that's where I'm trying to write another book called the psychotherapy for the collective human organism. Ooh. That's basic idea in it. And part of it is to, to recognize that each of us is greedy. Yeah. And the object of the greed in the capitalistic way of thinking is money and more and more stuff, more material things. But the, the better use of greed is for spiritual and interpersonal development mm. to get better and better so that you can have more love in your life. More love, greedy for love. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Much better. Greedy for love, better than greedy for money. Yes. Definitely. Yes. But it's harder, isn't it? I think we're not, we're not trained in cultivating love and cultivating spiritual connection. We're trained to be dutiful consumers and to compete with each other for status and money. So it's going to really re require a retraining of ourselves to be, to change. And that, and as you know, from being a psychotherapist, that you got to get meta to change. Mm. You got to look at the pattern. You got to look at the pattern and yeah. decide you want to change it. So I've got that as in this section of my new book, Mm -hmm. uh, on the collective human organism has to say like an alcoholic i am addicted to having more and more things <laughs> to admit that that's a problem mm. and, and then you begin the process of change but you have to recognize the problem and it's a psychotherapy for the collective human organism mm. i love it so what do you think about social media because i think in a way People are getting hungry. They are getting hungry for and greedy for more love, but it's just the love that they get through like social media likes. And that seems to me to be getting in the way of the kind of well, love you're talking about. It is. And uh, that's, um, that's why I'm so interested in the metaverse. Um, mm. And there is a, a subset, a new, a new metaverse developing called the Metriverse. Tree metriverse metriverse i'm working with some of the people the two people who are trying to do this uh and who get this going and one of them was on the podcast recently and he hasn't been anyway he's interested in being able to put synchronicity into this meta treeverse what's the meta tree can you tell me what the metriverse is i sound like i want to know about it is it to do with trees Oh yeah, it's all about trees. Ah. It's all about trees. It's, ah. all, it's all about trees. It's not just trees, it's being out in nature and somehow using this uh, metaverse, metriverse version of it as a way of enhancing connectedness to nature in, wow. in the virtual world 
And the trick will be to also transfer that into the real world. The real world, yeah. The, the physical world, as they call it. Yes. Now, that's a tough transition. But I like to say in the, in the metaverse, you can't kiss each other. Mm. It doesn't happen. They're going to try to make it happen, but it, it's hard to match the real thing. And that's a simple way of saying it's got to be more than just there. But we got to get people out of there as well as in there. And I agree with you, it's a problem. But mm -hmm. we also have the opportunity, as I am feeling with you, of really nice connectedness through this virtual thing that we're doing mm -hmm. here. Yeah. This is a, this something that can happen with avatars in the, the metaverse, but it's still to be, sometimes we won't be, I'll probably never see you in 3D. Um, but somehow to be able to, unless I go to a serendipity meetings, which I did in London a couple of years ago, the yeah. first one, went to the first one, but it's unlikely that, mm -hmm. and, and so how do you connect in the ways that we are, or out of our avatars can, or other things, mm -hmm. so you can get some semblance of it. But unfortunately, the metaverse is getting very uh, NFT uh, oriented, non-fungible tokens mm -hmm. which is all make money uh yes it's all about selling things and buying land and you need money though to make yes. stuff happen mm. so finding the right place for money is a crucial part of what the future has to get for us mm. uh, I, I we're gonna have unfortunately we're gonna have to stop one of these days um uh i want to ask you um about psychedelics and nature's and nature codes. What mm. does what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that that people so often in psychedelic experiences come away with the same kind of insights, and that when I was thinking about those insights, they seem to be speaking to laws of nature. So, and they seem to be very relevant for people's own lives, but also for the psychedelic field as a whole. So to give you a couple of examples, one of the codes is around interconnectedness. So the people that I've worked with and myself included in that didn't realize until we had psychedelic experiences that nature was an interconnected web of which we were a part and that all things were connected. We didn't really feel it or know it or really understand it until we felt it. So one of the quotes that I love from a qualitative research study that I did with people with depression having psilocybin therapy was somebody said, um, before I used to look at nature like a, as a thing, like a TV or a painting, but now that I know that I am it. So that distinction between looking at nature as other and then becoming part of the web. And so I think interconnectedness is a nature code. That's the way nature works. And we are part of that. And it's a code for us. So it's helpful for people to realize that both in their interpersonal relationships, um, but also just the way they live their life. Remembering that we're part of an interconnected web can be a really helpful thing. And it's helpful for the psychedelic field because um, well, I, you know, I'd love, I want to hear one day more about your uh, early experiences of that, that first part of the psychedelic, uh, well, the, all the potential that was around at that time. 
um, 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. okay. You're, so they know you're, you're referring to my part-time hippie activities. Part-time hippie. Well, yeah, and just, you know, the meeting Walter Pankey and just that whole oh, world yeah, yeah, that you were yeah. in at that time, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was that hope from that time that psychedelics could bring about peace and love and and I'm sure there was lots of other stuff as well I'm sure I'm kind of you know idealizing it somewhat but when the the second wave the psychedelic renaissance started in the early 2000s there was that hope again of like oh we've been a bit delayed because it was made illegal for a few decades but now we can get started with that peace project again and you know and there was these hopes that psychedelics would be this very benign loving field and actually what's happened is that psychedelic capitalism is sweeping the floor and you know there's lots of competition and patenting and quite you know big pharma type style activities and so just remembering the nature code of interconnectedness of we 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 cannot go about this in this very competitive business type business as usual capitalistic way because it will it won't survive it won't it won't work if we do. It needs to be more joined up because um, I don't think that psychedelics will work when they're done. So I think when companies develop psychedelics to be used as a kind of drug, wonder drug and that they're not given in the container of therapy and trust and care, I think the psychedelics will be ineffective or unsafe or both most of the time. Sometimes they'll work. So, so the interconnectedness is a code for they need to be done in community. We need to do them in this joined up way or they will be uh, impotent. Good, good. And I, I, um, I, I used to like that nobody knew about these substances, including uh, uh, Colombian red and, and Panama red before that, uh, old uh, marijuana that's kind of been burned out that, that uh, it would just have its own vibe because it was mm-hmm. just by itself. And it was, yeah. kind of, it, was, it was new and we were just doing it ourselves. And, and, and then it got dissipated out into other parts of the country where you know, it wasn't as much fun as when you had the context to be able to do it. And your point about the context, set and setting is what we kept calling it. Um, expectation um, is a key idea that our expectations influence our experience and the expectations of the people giving you the psilocybin will influence the experience yes. of the person. So the, the, it, you do that. Panky and, and Carl Salzman, another guy, did it at Mass Mental Health Center away from the church, which was a nice environment for divinity students. Um, but they did it in one of these kind of nondescript uh, mental health rooms in an old mental health center. But they put a rose up and they played uh, Vivaldi or something. Uh, and, the, and two people s- sat with the one person to be part of it and just to be part of their journey with them. And those were all important parts of the thing. But once you get money driving people to hand out the psilocybin and not thinking about the context they are creating, mm. they're going to have some bad experiences. I agree with you. So the idea that our minds are connected in that environment, that uh, what I think about you is more important than I ever thought it was. Yes. Because you pick it up. Yes. 
And that's not talked about by, with, uh, well, certainly in the circles I'm in, that isn't, I've had conversations with a few other psychedelic guides, sitters, where we've noticed that, but it's still not spoken about because it's a bit of a, you know, odd thing to acknowledge, but it's interesting to hear you say that. It's a woo-woo. So I'm pretty sure that uh, I could tell you other things that are just basic to what I've seen. Um, and let me give you a way. I just learned, learned from another person who just told me some really far out groovy coincidence stories. I'm using that more often now, far out and groovy. Uh, <laughs> she, she was saying, yeah, when, some, when you think of somebody and they call you, you know, I go mental telepathy. I go like, uh, how does it work? They uh, have to get to like... Uh, like morphic resonance or something, or psychosphere mm-hmm. is what I call it. Uh, she says, when somebody calls you and when you're thinking about them, it means they're thinking about you. The, the utter simplicity of that conclusion, and not all our academic yeah. kind of puts around it, which made me then say to you that our, which I came up with this yesterday, was that what I'm thinking about you can influence the way you think about yourself. And people continue to worry about what, oh, what he's thinking of me. It's overdone, but there's some truth in that, it looks like. Yes. Yes. One A quote that I love from a psychiatrist, I think it's um, Winnicott, that I studied a very, very long time ago, child psychiatrist, and a quote that, I always remember loving from him, but I've never been able to find it when I've searched online. So I might have made it up, but I don't think so. It was a quote that he said, which was, you are who you see looking at you. And I always took it to mean like, like imagine a child growing up with a parent that just looks at that child with, with a lack of love or with some kind of shutdownness. And that child becomes that shutdownness because when you're looked at by, by, with love from somebody, you become... You, f- you feel it. And if you're looked at with, yeah, disappointment, you become disappointed. So I think the way somebody looks at you or sees you does affect the way we see ourselves, definitely. I was at dance. I, I like to go to dance. Uh, and uh, last Friday, there's this person I've been dancing with, I thought, for years. I mean, not a lot of times, but really memorable because there would be a vibe between us when we were dancing and mm. I, she'd look at me sometimes like I was there, but I didn't think she really thought I was there somehow. Um, so I was dancing with her without, and still thinking the same thing. She was dancing. I was over here and I, I, uh, there's an old song. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Well, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I mean, even though there mm. are other things because of something. And, mm. and she never has emailed me, but she did after that and said, thank you very much for dancing with me, which uh, I was a relief that she acknowledged my existence. <laughs> thank you very much for dancing with me. Um, you witnessed me. I felt Aww. I was being seen. And I got more deeply into my dance. Yeah. And that's, that's, and that's continuing your metaphor. Mm. You are who you, who's looking at you. 
and then you act you act that out which is what she yes and so often people talk about you know like oh we need to learn to love ourselves and like self-care and all those things it's like yes there's all this like learning to love ourselves but there's also something about being loved and that there's a certain amount of self-love that you can only learn when you see it reflected back from when you feel that connection with somebody else self-connection comes from connection with others amen amen sister Amen, sister, on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And coincidences, telling each other coincidence stories helps increase that. Definitely does. In that way. And I'm looking forward to when people are going to be able to talk more about these connectedness, uh, coincidence stories, because, yeah, it's it's so lovely to talk with you about this and to have read your book, because I'm I've kind of quite thirsty for these conversations because there is such a beauty about them and just celebrating them. And there's just not enough places to share these stories. Well, the Coincidence Cafe is one of them, mm. but, but you've got a hotbed of them over there. And uh, what I was just thinking about was uh, collecting the group of investigators you have mm. on a Zoom call with yours truly, which happens to be mm. and see what happens. But I'm Dr. Coincidence and just get that thing fired up. Mm, Yeah, I don't know how I mean, it's a lovely idea. I don't know how open I think there's still kind of in the psychedelic science world. There's still a real hesitancy to engage with the more woo woo aspects that this would be seen, even though it's, you know, documented and it's not really woo woo. So I think there's a hesitancy for people to engage with this kind of stuff yet because they think it's too early. Well, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not. It's time. And it's time. You may have noticed that hesitancy can be overcome. Yes. And there are ways for that to happen. Yes. And you can figure them out with talking to one or two people about them yourself, mm-hmm. if you want to. Yeah, but I am. I am trying to help people tell each other coincidence stories. That's my job. Yeah. So if you can find a way to like mm. do the hesitancy, um, <laughs> take care of the hesitancy because it's real and they are yeah. knowing it, but they are afraid of being called crazy, which is the usual thing mm. uh, or woo or something not scientific. This is the science of now and the future. Yes. This stuff. These yes. are the clues about how reality works. Hey, hey, that's the crazy doctor. <laughs> what a, what a, it helps to be a psychiatrist to do this stuff and a psychologist. Now, the codes of nature you were talking about, what other ones are there? So another one is that, so that's the, the, the pattern of nature is interconnectedness. And another one is about the rhythm and, well, the rhythm of nature, which is cyclical. So one of the things that I think people, well, one of the problems with the way we live our lives at the moment in the modern Western world is that we're under this kind of illusion that it's constantly daytime. Like, so if you think about the cycles of nature, there's every day we have night, we have day, dark lights. Every year we go through spring, summer, autumn, winter. The, the, the stages of light to dark to light to dark decay, renewal, birth, death, winter, summer, 
day, night. That is the most fundamental rhythm that we are, we all live in. But when it comes to our own psychology, we have this bizarre expectation that we should be in like summer all the time or like midday all the time. And we completely deny and push away the dark half of our existence. And we're all constantly cycling through. Some people get stuck in winter for a very long time, but but how long we get stuck there, we all go through it and we just don't have a language for it. We don't have ways of supporting each other through it. I mean, they used to, I've been getting into all the trees of the Celtic tree calendar through this integration thing I'm doing. And one of the trees in the Celtic tree calendar is the willow. And people used to, when they were mourning somebody, somebody died, they would wear the willow. They would wear some willow on them. And that was a sign to everybody. I'm in mourning. I'm in mourning for a while. Don't expect me, you know, I'm going to be in this place so that their community could just be with them through that, not try and make them cheerful or okay, just walk with them through that time. And we've lost that. We don't have enough fellowships. We don't have enough structures where people can just go through the dark times without having to pretend that they're okay. And I think that's one of the great tragedies of our time that we can't, we don't have the, the, we don't really have churches anymore, which would be one place that you could go to really be in the dark time and be down and in that dark place of mourning. We now, we just don't have enough mourning spaces and I think it's really toxic to our psychology because instead we have this like inflated, you know, kind of, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. Like bizarre, fake, kind of consumerist, shiny uh, persona. Agreed. Agreed. Um, uh, I add to the cycle thing, uh, the sine wave. Mm. That this is a fundamental to the fundamental. Ooh. Yeah. That energy moves in sine waves. Sound moves in sine waves. DNA is a spiral that is a sine wave. So fundamental to reality is the sine wave that manifests in the ways you just talked about. Oh, I love that. I might have to add that in and steal that from you. It's, it's to be stolen. It's to be stolen. I, I, I am uh, the giving tree when I can. <laughs> Thank you, know that, you. You know that Shel Silverstein book? No. It's called The Giving Tree. The tree gives mm. everything of itself until it's only a stump. Mm. It's quite mm. a, it's one of his most famous ones. Shel Silverstein, The Giving Tree. Is it a children's book? Yep. Ah, okay. I think somebody's recommended it to my daughter before. I'll have to get that one. Books, books are a lovely, yeah, they've, they've been most of my kind of big life decisions. Like they'll always be like a real crucial book that just falls from a shelf or somebody recommends. And in that book is just the little bit of information that just sends you on the next monkey bow. Right. Have you found that too? And that's, that's, that was called a long time ago, the library angel. Mm. Uh, at the, uh, um, a British guy called it. What's I should know his name. Um, it's it. Uh, I, I I there's also the Internet Angel too, and there are people who. It, but the book falling from the shelf. One person told me about a book vibrating <laughs> for her, and this magician's trilogy I told you about. The books in the library sometimes get restless and fly around. 
<laughs> and they got and there's pages that kind of flutter around. You got to you got to get them. You got to catch them because mm-hmm. they, they might cause a little trouble uh, because they're uh, ready to be because they do they do they like flutter around because they, they want their message to be getting to the right hands or they want to get it back to where this one want to get back to where it came from a different mm. a different uh, consciousness. But it had a lot of uh, different land, a magician's mm. land. Fillory was the name, but it it like um, it, it it had important information on it also mm. for the guy who was capturing it. Um, mm-hmm. So the this idea uh, of uh, cycles and sine waves and connectedness. Mm. What uh, let's do a third? Have a third one, a third code. Um, pace. What? And that's pa- pace. 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 And that is just about slowness. So nature, na- the way nature grows is it finds this stability in constant change and this slow, constant process of surrender. So it's constant letting go, letting go, letting go. But it's a very slow process and you you, you feel like it's moving backwards in a way, like with a wheel going round, like a circle goes backwards twice, but it's it's always growing. It's always moving forward. But in that, there is this kind of allowance of surrender and allowance of going backwards. So it's like slow in the sense of like, sometimes it's not just slow. It's like backwards, but you're actually moving forwards all the time. Yeah. And I think that's something that for personal growth, um, we feel in our times of loss and hardship or feeling stuck that we're kind of going backwards and not making progress. But if we can just lean into that and realize that actually we are, those stuck times are the times when we learn the most. It's the painful times when we learn the most. We are going forward, even if we feel that we're going backwards. Well, you've gone to some great practical spiritual stuff here, Roz. <laughs> I mean, this is like somewhat standard, but better. Uh, each <laughs> one of these things is, is like standard from what I know anyway. Um, yeah. But I, I had it two feet forward, one foot back, one foot, mm. one step backwards as kind of kind of that. But to be able to know that the bad is the good and the good sometimes yes. is the bad. Yes. I mean, I've gotten in trouble with, oh, how wonderful, you know, like that. So I got to be careful about when things go good. Bad <laughs> is OK. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, actually. I do know what you mean. And yeah, it's just encouraging. It can just feel encouraging to know that, that that's normal and that that's natural and it's okay to to feel that sense of, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the way backwards. of the world. And you are unlocking some of nature's codes with your, with your clients. Uh, and we need more of you. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you to say. I mean, I think in a way they've like, because most of my reflections came from interviewing people about their psychedelic experiences. So they I very much learned from them rather than psychedelic experiences themselves particularly teaching me these things although they have a bit it's more through learning people hearing participants themselves uh discover these things for themselves and just like observing them and recording them is is where it's all come from they are the psychonauts they are they are the psychonauts they're seeking yes And, and you are the faithful recorder yeah their experiences and synthesizing them like any good researcher and i do both too i I have them but i interview i listen to stories and it's the same general idea and you come up with stuff and you've come Mm. up with three i 
I don't want to ask more because we should stop, but uh, do you have more codes than this than these three? I think those are the main ones. I mean, there's kind of like there, I mean, I suppose the other one is it's not so much a kind of like those are the kind of like three deeper ones, but one more that is yeah, no, I'd say those are the main ones. I mean, another one is kind of more tree specific, which is just about the way um it's getting a bit more obscure but it's something about about the way that we uh kind of photosynthesize like the way the trees do like the way um it's more about embodiment so if you think about a tree and its roots and its its branches it sucks up the mud from the from the roots or underneath the roots sucks up the mud and then through the trunk of the tree that muddy water transmutes and becomes sap, which is the stuff of life, the powers that it's growth, it allows it to make sugar to grow. And I think that thinking about that analogy of the tree trunk being the place where that photosynthesis happens, that, that transmutation from the mud to the, to the energy, to the sugar, um, and just how I really think that it's in our bodies. In psychedelic experiences, obviously they're a lot about the mind, but it's in the body of us where the painful experiences at our roots, like the traumatic experiences in our childhoods and in our lives, that becomes transmuted into the stuff of growth, the, the sap that allows us to become who we really are. And it's actually the very same stuff that is our trauma, that it's the stuff that really is our growing edge as well. It's the same liquid. It's just, it has to go through our bodies. So something around um transformation of pain to growth at the level of the body that's so important um uh, i i've been associated with these three trees now for quite a while mm. and, I, and i go visit them uh, tell me what trees they are well, i don't know what kind of trees they are but one okay. uh, one, one is the king and he looks like a, he has a king like trunk on the way he's painted and the queen is a little thinner and a little more yeah. delicate looking and then uh, for years i missed seeing the third one that was in between them you know like where i am this is where i say the tree was there i didn't see it i was just talking to the king and the queen but then there was one i call z uh because i don't know what it is exactly or she is or he is it's one of those combinations <laughs> yeah kind of their their chill it's a it's a it's a trilogy or a try a try what you call it um and i've been going up there uh, and talking with them for years uh, and they have given me advice uh i'm still mad at them for one but they were right um i needed to do that but i didn't like what it did to me but they were <laughs> right about it uh, there's other times, other things have happened with the trees, but more recently, maybe six weeks ago, I became one of them. I became a tree. I could feel myself becoming, uh, having my bark and my trunk mm -hmm. and my feet having roots and my branches being out and the upper branches are like dendrites reaching for the sky. So so it's 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 these dendrites that are reaching for uh something more uh to be able to experience um like uh in the sistine chapel uh to think about uh, um 
uh, Adam and God and that synapse between them and trying to be able on the, on the ceiling uh, and try to be able to bridge that gap. And that's what we try to do, send those sparks back and forth and make uh, a connection in the, and the, den, the dendritic uh, tree branches uh, yes. are, are doing, are trying to do that um, for us. Or yeah, we reach. have that. We have. That. Yes, I love that you became a tree and you felt that. I. It's an experience I've also had, and it's the kind of foundation for this whole. Yeah, yeah this whole way of doing integration. It's a lovely feeling to be a tree. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> I kind of prefer being a tree to being a human. Sometimes I feel like. They're so solid because that, I guess that maybe that's slightly another code, although I don't know whether it maybe slightly the, the, the trees that we look at that are the gnarliest, most jagged, uneven trees. We love them. We love them more because of their unevenness. Whereas with human beings, we try and be all perfect and, you know, straight up and down, but with the tree, the, 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 the wisdom of the gnarly tree, you know, that that we love that feeling of safety and beauty from its jagged edges and the, the cuts in it and the bits of the branches got blown off. And so I think that's a nature code too, because I think if we humans could, I think actually Ram Dass said that you should look at people like trees. Like if you're having difficulty forgiving someone or liking someone because they're a bit this or a bit that, imagine them to be like a tree and that their jagged bits give them character. And I think like, if we could learn to really appreciate in ourselves and each other, the wise, strong, solid bits, rather than trying to be like, I mean, who wants to be like a little eucalyptus when you could be a great big wise old redwood or, oak? you know, like we've got to learn to love um, just, yeah, like different kind of beauty, I think. Yeah. Yeah, when when you talk about the different kinds of trees and what they tell you, uh, I'm more and more impressed about people bring to visions like looking at trees. They're so much of their own background and so much of their own experience, and they will see something different from what you see. And I I didn't tune into gnarly trees. What what I do what I do sometimes walk out of there is look at the way the branches of some trees are like almost dancing. And sometimes they seem to be making a joke by the way that they're <laughs> putting their branches. And I laugh at them and they're just, they're entertainers for me. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I've definitely seen some, some funny, funny looking ones. <laughs> well, well, with that, um, we will bring this story to the end of, of uh, our conversation. Um, and what I like to do is at the end, um, and I'll ask you, you've told us some personal things, but to tell us some other more personal thing that you'd like, not per, somewhat personal that's different from what you've told us uh, about you that you might like our, our audience to, to know about you. Hmm. Um, oh gosh, there's so many different things that, yeah, which, where to go. So I am a mother. I have a six-year-old daughter called Tabitha. 
um, who is quite a magical little being herself. Um, and I really, yeah, it's it's been quite interesting trying to be, yeah, kind of productive in the in this field that I'm so passionate about, and also a present mother. So it's been, you know, challenging at times, but yeah, I think we're getting to the stage now where she is very, very fascinating company and very magical. And I'm, yeah, we have some, we have some good adventures. She loves trees. Um, so we, yeah, we're, we're little co co-travelers in the world. Wonderful. Wonderful. And Tabitha is a name for cats too sometimes. Yes. Yes. She, so actually I, um, there was a, a, a shaman, I think, who told me a vision that she'd had. This was when I was first pregnant and it was of a little girl that came into the shaman's kitchen and said to her that it was my, it was Roz's baby and that she was the kitty cat girl and that she loved cats. And this is years ago and I completely forgot about it. Um, but when I decided to call her Tabitha, I'd forgotten what the shaman had said about her loving cats, completely forgot it. I actually called her something else. I called her Rowan. When she was first born, she was, she was called Rowan, like the Rowan tree, but it just didn't suit her at all. So I ended up changing it to Tabitha at the last minute, forgotten the, the shaman cat thing. But then recently we got this kitten and it all fell into place because she just bonded with this cat immediately. I was like, ah, the kitty cat girl, I'd forgotten about her. So uh, yeah, she's a tabby cat herself. <laughs> so many synchronicities. I mean, I just can't, yeah, can't so, so keep bumping of, into them. <laughs> so many of them, so many of them. So Ross Watts, WCS creator. <laughs> it was so much fun talking with you, Ross. Thank you very so much. So much fun. Thank you so much, Bernie. It was great. Thank you for having me. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness